Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, Michael Branvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How you doing, Jay? Great, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. I just before we get anywhere, I just want to say congratulations to the cheap the trick. Cheap trick. Getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame today. Um, Pretty happy about listen, that. I'm happy to see that Deep Purple in Chicago also got in. Oh, but absolutely. Listen, I'm, a, I'm a cheap trick boy, As born and I. raised, and and uh, that's that's just awesome that. As I was telling Jay, I look at them as the little band that could. They've yep. never stopped trying, and there they are. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they still sound great. You yep. know, they were my first show, um, August 13th, 1977, Portland Memorial Coliseum. Uh, they were opening for Kiss on the Destroyer tour, and they came out and lit it up. And uh, I've been a huge fan. Uh, at that point, only the first album was out. A couple of weeks later, In Color came out, and I've been a rabid fan ever since. Cool. Cool. So, we've got a special guest with us this week. Yes, we do. Um, I'll do the intro. <laughs> we, uh, today, we are joined by Jack Isquith. Um, I first became aware of Jack when he was with uh, AOL Music, but I didn't really get to know him until he worked for uh, Warner Brothers Records. Um, he was the SVP of Digital uh, for Warner Brothers Records. Um, he's since moved on, and now he's with Slacker, and he is the SVP of Strategic Development and Content Programming. Jack, welcome to our little show. Hi, guys. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I, I'm really excited. Oh, go ahead, Jack. You're going to be in a good mood because of Cheap Trick. We are fellow uh, Power Pop fans. Hey, well, yes. welcome to New York City. The dogs are barking. So <laughs> that. said That's all right. My so, dog's asleep next to us. Hopefully, he'll stay quiet, but go ahead. All right. Sorry about that. Anyway, good That's to see right. you guys. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, too. Hey, listen, uh, Jack, I, I, I think you know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Slacker. Um, I think it's very highly curated. Um, I mean, the slogan is powered by humans. You know, I, I think that... Um, you have a, a good base of just hardcore music fans that totally get what you're doing. But for those who haven't explored uh, Slacker, can you, can you talk a little bit about what Slacker is? Sure. So um, Slacker is uh, uh, an internet digital uh, music service, but Slacker is very much radio. The brand is Slacker Radio. There are 350 pre-programmed stations really lovingly handcrafted by a team of music curators. And, you know, look, it's, it's highly personalized. It has an on-demand tier. Uh, but at our heart, there's probably three things that guide us every day. And, and I think you mentioned one of them in curation. What we always talk about is curation, culture, and context. And I think people who um, have come to Slacker have come with, with a different mindset about what they expect from a digital music service, right? We don't think we're really competing against the Googles and Spotify's um, of the world. You know, we think that we are uh, a handcrafted sort of service that hopefully, you know, as we grow, will be for a big audience, but not for everybody. So that, you know, people who are looking for those three things I talked about, 
you know, that human touch that talks about culture, context, curation. We're playing a particular bunch of music and we're putting it together and weaving it together in a particular way. You know, that's who we're going after and that's what, what Slacker's about. Yeah, one of the things that really strikes me about Slacker is when you get to a playlist, it's unlike anybody else. It's, uh, it's, it seems personal. You know, with uh, some of the narration that I've heard, and also uh, just with the the themes and uh, the list that you put together are really kind of unique. Um, do you sit down with your team and brainstorm and come up with these ideas? Is everybody off kind of working on themselves? How do these things come about? Um, well, first of all, thanks. That's it's very nice to hear. Um, the process is interesting. The process, much like the whole um, promise of, of the company to the listener, goes in two directions. Um, you know, there's some kind of top-down, you know, I lead our team in terms of the content team, Kevin Stapleford, who um, is a great program director and was really one of the most innovative people in the history of alternative radio, came out of 91X in San Diego. Um, he leads the radio team. And certainly there are a lot of conversations between Kevin and myself that lead to top-down things. For example, um, we just launched today in the middle of holiday and Christmas season, Bah Humbug, you know, uh, uh, hosted by Red, who lives in Seattle uh, and was the morning person for the end up there. So a kind of, you know, hey, you need a palate cleanser with all this <laughs> Auntie, Christmas yeah. music and cheer. Here you go. Um, so sometimes it's top-down. Uh, often it is from the middle or the side up. It is um, coming from our full-time you know, DJs and hosts, our curators, or coming from what we're getting in terms of feedback through social channels and direct from listeners. And you know, we have a music meeting uh, every week that sort of walks two lines. It, it walks, what music do we want to feature? You know, what are the, what's going to be our song stuck in, in, in my head, which is our single of the day? What's going right. to be our album of the week? But it's also this creative content creation. You know, what do we think, um, what do we think is going to excite listeners? And, and to a large degree, we think a lot of people are zigging, what can we do to zag? You know, so yeah, yeah. So that's sort of the process. Are you getting any feedback? Um, I, I would imagine you get feedback from your your base, your subscribers. Um, is any of that taken into account? Do you ever take ideas or um, you know thoughts and and grow them from your listener base? So much. Look, you know, you can be you can be the most human uh, digital music service. And, and getting to scale, which we've been fortunate enough to do. Slacker's, you know, about eight years old. But there's so much data that we get from our audience just about what they're playing, you know, what they're skipping, what they're banning, what they're sharing on social media. Yeah. And there's so many more avenues for interaction um, that that plays a big part in our decisions. And just to drive the point home for people who haven't used Slacker, and then we can talk about all sorts of stuff. Sure. You know, there, there were a lot of people uh, up until about, I'd say, 18 months ago where, who thought that radio and terrestrial radio was a dirty word. There was a kind of looking down on a lot of things uh, that represented uh, terrestrial or old school radio, 
by uh, people who were in the digital music space or, or at a digital music company. We never felt that way, right? We always felt um, that there was a lot of great entertainment creativity, a lot of great things happening in the history of radio, right? Whether it's the BBC or, or what's happened in the United States. Sure. What we hated was 22 minutes of commercials an hour, the consolidation, the clear channel consolidation of radio, mm-hmm. the dumbing down, talking down to the audience, a bunch of trends that happened painting with a broad brush we didn't like. But the idea of voice, right? We talk about voice all the time. Voices on the air, literally a human voice keeping people company and voice like you have something to say. You have a perspective. You have you know, a sense of voice. We thought those were really crucial, great radio stations that Terrestrial Radio had done that, you know, for a long time. And um, we look at that, looked at that part of Terrestrial Radio as a bar that we wanted to hit and hopefully transcend. I guess the, the, the only other thing about what we're doing when you talk about personalization, like Jay mentioned that, Michael, about personalization, you know, the technology advantage that we have over Terrestrial Radio really helps with personalization. It's not just skipping, right, or your ability to toggle between a radio experience and on-demand, but it is, look, it's really a two-way conversation. So, you know, the best example I could give you is, Jay, if, if both of us were listening to Slacker's Classic Rock Station, mm-hmm. but I loved uh, stuff from the early and mid-60s. I'm a, you know, Beatles guy and a, a Kinks uh, and Rolling sure. Stones guy, and let's say you were more a cheap trick, Tom Petty, more had a 70s orientation. Within literally 15 minutes of us listening to the same station, our music experiences would start to be radically different based on what you were harding and what you were skipping and what I was harding and what I was skipping. Sure. So that, that kind of personalization gives us a really interesting technological advantage over... Sure. Uh, terrestrial radio and so yeah you can't do that you just can't do that with terrestrial radio i mean it's impossible what what are your thoughts on um you know we talk about recommendation curation Uh, there's kind of an ongoing debate about algorithms you know whether they're a good or bad thing human uh curation when there's 20 30 plus million songs out there um can you by hand curate everything or do you do you use you know what are your thoughts on kind of using algorithms or or let's say data from you know all of that data that you collect uh, I think it's silly uh, the, the idea that it's a choice right that you're either a, uh, a curator that's relying almost exclusively or exclusively on the human touch or you're completely data oriented and you're nothing but a data scientist. It's 2000, it's almost 2016. Why in the world would you choose? You don't have to choose at all. We spend so much time trying to combine those two things where we're looking at tons of data. Um, and we're, and we're factoring that in heavily to our curation strategies and just the blocking and tackling of curation. Mm -hmm. But on top of every station sits a, a human being who owns that station owns that little sub-brand of that station and says, look, I have all this data about what's happening with classic rock or, or more importantly, maybe what's happening with new music and what's bubbling up. And then I have my subjective opinion, which I'm going to check against the data. And 
by the way, we, we want to have voice like we talked about. So what we do in between the songs, providing context and all that, that's really important too. And, and we put it together. So this whole yeah. argument seems to me to be, in some ways, really silly. <laughs> yeah. at, at, the end, at the end of the day, the, the human always has the final say in your, your, your curation model, basically. That's our model, right. Um, you know, but much like in life itself, right, you, you need to know when to check your ego at the door and get out of the way. Yeah, you know? right. I mean, we have an expert person programming our spa station, which is essentially a variation on a new age station. Well, we don't have a host on that station because that doesn't, when you're at the spa, do you really want to hear someone talking to you? Um, and we certainly have someone who has a lot of expertise about what the best music that would fit there is and someone who knows how to play, you know, um, a, a good example is someone who knows how to play a Bill Evans song as a spice within a category that's dominated by more traditional new age music. But for the most part, we get out of the way and let the data guide us, you know, and we just have a person who has expertise at the helm on that station. Conversely, if you've got a station like Bah Humbug, you know, it, what algorithm in the world is going to program that station? <laughs> right, right. I get the sense that you guys are having a lot of fun. I, yeah. I, look, at the, uh, uh, I look at the site or the service pretty regularly and, and just reading the, the titles of some of the playlists, even if it's not music that I would normally listen to, I'll jump in there for a little bit just because they're so compelling it's not hey you know here's today's top country hits it's really more of like uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way it, it reminds me of um like high fidelity or when i used to work at tower records you know you seem like a, a bunch of excited record store clerks is that <laughs> fair <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that's fair in terms of you've kind of sniffed us out in, in terms of many people who work there Although you will be interested that we talk a lot about, you hit on two things that I think you guys, you're such big music fans and watching Absolutely. your podcast. I think you'll relate to these two things. Um, we never want to be too cool for the room. We never actually want to be the way Jack Black and that team was, their characters in uh, High Fidelity. <laughs> yeah. um, and we really, we really aspire to create... Um, programming experiences, listening experiences that satisfy someone who has expertise and at the same time would satisfy someone who is just dropping in or got interested in the, in the title of the station. And the thing that we point to um, all the time as, as uh, a, someone who got it right was the whole franchise that VH1 did with Behind the Music, where it got to a certain point, I think, for any music fan, whether you were a giant music fan like the three of us or you were a more casual music fan, you, you sort of came to understand, I'll watch almost any behind the music, even yeah. if I don't like the artist, because it's compelling. The story. There's a story here. There's context. And so we always point to that show and shows like that as, does it pass the sniff test if someone has a ton of expertise? Like, Jay, I'll give you a great example. We're, you know... When we, do, um, when we do our DNA series, right, and we're going to do, you know, DNA traces the influences on a particular artist, their contemporaries, and then um, who they influenced. 
we, if we do the Rolling Stones DNA or we do Pavement DNA or Johnny Cash DNA, we want that to appeal to the hardcore Johnny Cash fan, right, who knows almost everything about Johnny Cash and can tell you everything that they got wrong in the movie. And we want it to, to appeal to the mainstream fan who just, you know, knows three Johnny Cash songs, saw the movie, and thinks, right. boy, I'd like to know something more about Johnny Cash, or I just want to be entertained. And yeah. so that's the line we're trying to walk. We are not trying to be the coolest guys in the room by any, Got it. any stretch. I think that's great, because we're all exposed to different music at different times. You know, growing up, my, my brother was a huge Rolling Stones fan, and I discovered the Stones through him, but more importantly, I discovered the blues through the Rolling Stones which I don't think I would have been exposed to. I wanted to find out, oh, they didn't write that song? Well, I want to hear the original of that song, those types of things. And I think that's kind of the power of what you're doing as opposed to terrestrial radio or as opposed to just a straight streaming service. Um, I, I firmly believe that that, that recommendation, um, that curation is, is really important. Uh, since we really don't have the high-fidelity clerks anymore to kind of make fun of us or guide us. And, you know, uh, it, it's, it's like that big brother who's got the bigger record collection who not only can tell you what you're listening to, but also go, this is why this is important or this is why it's an influence on other things. So I think that's a really good thing. We agree. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about... You know, when I first became aware of who you were, I was working at Universal and you were over at AOL Music. And we had exchanged a couple of emails way back in the day, but hadn't really met until you came over to Warner Brothers when, when I was working at, uh, at Warner. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you kind of uh, came from AOL to Warner Brothers and then landed at, uh, at Slacker. Sure. Well, the most formative experience in some ways that I ever had was I was a college radio kid. I was a pre-internet, you know, early Where 80s. At? Uh, SUNY Albany, State University of New York at Albany. Okay. And um, there's a lot, you know, there were a bunch of people who came out of that school. On the East Coast, a bunch of people came out of NYU in, in my era, Albany and Syracuse. The Albany contingent... Uh, Russ Rieger, who managed the replacements, and the Del sure. Fuegos, Dermot Quinn from Cobalt, and, and he manages Josh Groban, just, yep. you know, Joe Trellin, longtime Amazon uh, guy, a bunch of people worked at, at that station. But it was, right, it was really formative because the early 80s was a pre-internet era. You know, I always, you know, I worked closely with Burtis Downs, who is the uh, manager of REM for many years, but I always tell Burtis the story about meeting Peter Buck you know, and if anyone met Peter Buck in, from REM in the 80s, Peter Buck was the internet before the internet was invented because Peter Buck was always saying, oh, you need to know about this band from Cleveland. Oh, you need to know about this band from Cincinnati. Hey, you guys should book this band, you know, from Detroit or L.A. or whatever it was. So anyway, that, that was really formative. And then, um, you know, I, I worked at uh, Sony um, you know, really, we ran the first uh, ever alternative department at Epic Records, and I was a traditional record guy until uh, 2000. And in, in, in 2000, at the turn of the century, I went online. I went to CD Now, 
Uh, and I don't know how many people remember CD Now, but CD Now is essentially. I do. There you go. CD Now. Yeah, CD, CD, CD Now was uh, was where you went before Amazon if you wanted to buy music online. That's right. And um, that was a great experience. And out of all the things that I've done, whether it's college radio, working for major labels, managing bands, or working at AOL, Warner, Slacker, CD Now. Probably the thing that people talk to me the most about and seem the most excited about is CD Now. And <laughs> I think that has something to do with being part of the web when it was Web 1.0. It's it's the birth. It's it's you know it's 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 strange to say it, but that is the dark ages. That's the you know, and it's not that long ago. That's what 95, 94. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, more, even more recently. I mean, I, I came to CD Now in 2000. So, so yeah, I mean, that's that, that was the early development birth of the Internet, of commerce, of music sales. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was truly a wild west back then. Yeah. In, indeed. So, so those experiences that I had from 2000 forward you know, that are all wrapped up in, in what was called at first new media, online, connected, whatever you want to call it. All of those, I think, and, and what we try to do at Slacker today, there's a direct line between those experiences, I think, and college radio, the college radio I came out of, in that you felt like there was a bit of a revolution going on. You were pushing whether it was technology or culture or a point of view, you were kind of trying to push the industry forward, push art and culture forward. But the biggest thing was you were talking directly to an audience. And for me, what I loved was when I worked for labels, there were many things I liked about it. It was really exciting to work with artists and you know, kind of take them when you were good and when you got lucky and everything came together, it's very exciting to take an artist from, you know, having a small audience to having a big audience. But whether it was college radio or AOL music or Slacker, to talk directly to an audience, um, that, that's a big privilege and a very exciting part of, of being in the music business. That's the part I personally like the best. Yeah, that sounds like the best part. What, what would be your, your biggest challenges or hurdles in the... Uh in this uh, role? Oh, well, look, we compete, Slacker competes against gargantuan companies that are coming. Well, I, into this I was, was, was going to ask you that. I mean, the, kind of to go along with Jay's question, how do you, how do you compete? How do you get your message out against the, the 10,000 pound gorillas that you're up against? Well, we have to be differentiated, you know? I mean, that's the answer. We're not going to outspend them, we're not going to outscale them, and we're not tied to another business where you know our profit and loss is irrelevant, or you know, hey, we're selling hardware, where we hope you buy a refrigerator from us while you're here, whatever the case may be. And we have really formidable competitors, and if we try to take them on, I think very directly, and we didn't differentiate and innovate and push ourselves to speak. To, to zig when they're zagging, if you will, then I think we wouldn't be able to compete with them. We're really lucky. We have like-minded people working. We have um, a CEO, Duncan Oral Jones, who really 
understands exactly how important differentiation is. And so we, we sort of draw an analogy. Uh, and Michael, I mean, it's a good question. We, we sort of say, look, you know, some of our competitors, it feels like Walmart versus Target. And, you know, which one of those might be Apple and which one of those might be Google, you can decide. We think we're sort of Trader Joe's in that analogy. You know, Trader Joe's is a great company, but you walk into a Trader Joe's and, um, you know, you might want to buy organic broccoli. And if you look hard enough, you can buy that, right, at Whole Foods. You can buy that at Target. I don't know whether you can buy it at Walmart yet. Maybe not. Maybe yes. At Slacker, if you take the analogy forward, our organic broccoli has a handwritten note on it. And it says, this is Jay's pick of the week, organic broccoli, and here's why. Or this is Michael's pick of the week, and here's some context about where we got this organic broccoli with and what it might be good with. So while that's an analogy, what we're trying to do is always thinking about differentiating and always putting the listener first and not spending a lot of time thinking about um, ancillary needs that some you know, parent corporation has or anything that distracts us from differentiation and the listener. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy, honestly. And I think that there's uh, a sustainable market uh, for that. Um, if you want to use the Trader Joe's analogy, you know, their, their business is thriving. Um, and yet there still are these mega shopping uh, stores for groceries. Uh, everybody's in the space. I think with music, music is so personal. And um, I think that there is definitely room for places where you can go where people speak directly to you. They have a voice. They, they can curate. I mean, there's sometimes when you just want that comfort food and you just want to pop on that, you know, that Elton John or something that you grew up with and you don't feel like discovering new music. But for a lot of us, um, discovering new music is one of the best things there is. And it's so thrilling. Um, every year, you know, I discover, you know, another dozen bands or albums that I never knew existed or they didn't exist before. And, you know, that is, it's like finding money in your pocket when you're doing the wash, you know. And I think that's what, uh, what Slacker um, uh, can provide. Um, on another note, it doesn't seem like, um, well, let me just ask you the question. Do you, do you think that the bit rate, um, you know, the, I, I hate saying quality of the music because I think that's misleading, but the different bit rates um, that different services put out, some have higher bit rates, some have lower. Do you think that really matters? Uh, I think it matters to a, a very small subset of, of the audience out there. We made the decision to raise our bit rate uh, capability to 320 across the board. It wasn't always there. For example, I think Pandora is still m much lower than that in terms of what they uh, offer their listeners. Um, it seems like, and we've all seen the studies, that, well, maybe the three of us, you know, can hear the difference. I love jazz personally, right? So, uh, you know, audio quality is, is super important to me. But I would say the mass audience so far, it, it's not, it doesn't seem, it, it seems difficult to make a case that that is a key driver in terms of what service they're going to pick and how they think about music, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
People, yeah. look, people want to be entertained above everything else. That, that's the one thing I can tell you, given I've been at Slacker for about five years. And wow, in my journey, yeah, my journey, has, you know, every year that's gone by, I learn a bunch of things. Um, and, and it's very eye-opening. Um, and many things, you know, that you might think are true about either the music business or what people really want wind up to be more nuanced or complicated or some of them just the, tend to be false. But the common denominator, I think, for really 9 out of 10 or 90 out of 100 listeners is above everything else they want to be entertained. Yeah, I agree with that. How, Jack, how open um, is, is your team to either unsigned or you know, small independent artists that are trying to rise above the clutter and maybe, you know, they want to compete um, with the, or they can't compete with, say, you know, some of these larger, uh, you know, superstars. How open are you to unsigned acts? We have two things going on at Slacker, and it's a, a classic uh, tension, uh, uh, a push and pull. Ideologically, we, we really love that. Right. Because if you're trying to differentiate yourself and if you're the smaller guy fighting against bigger guys, culturally, that makes so much sense to us. So we are always looking, you know, for those avenues. So that's the good news. The bad news is when you have human beings and you have a bunch of people who know their stuff pretty well, the music meeting is a very competitive place. Like, okay. I saw you guys had Cameo on, who now works mm -hmm. for Borman, either last week or a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And um, she talked about uh, Apple. You know, Apple's probably the other place I can think of where they've had human curation and maybe quietly behind the scenes human curation for years. That music meeting is a competitive place, you know. And so when you come in with something that's unsigned or has come in from TuneCore or CD Baby or all the ways we try to aggregate, um, you know, indie content into our mix, you have to make a really strong case, right? You know, the music first and foremost has to carry the day. And then if you're picking the single of the day, you, ha you have to make a good case about, you know, why we should pick the single, what's going on with this band, what are the, you know, there's data involved, there's all of that right. involved. Um, so it's not for the faint hearted. And if your mandate is to entertain people all the time, then, um, you're going to take it very seriously about what you put on the air. Yeah. Jack, let me ask you, and this might be a little bit of a, um, self-serving question. What slackers, um, direction in dealing with podcasts? Um, I think that, you know, if you take a look at everyone in the space, when it comes to non-music content, Let's talk about podcasts. I want to blur the lines between podcasts and non-music content because I think so far that's where podcasting has succeeded. We hate, we sort of hate the word podcast because we think it's too broad. We think there's a lot of people who are doing things in that space that aren't exceptional, but there's a minority that's still very sizable that's amazing. And so... You know, when you dive into Slacker, you'll notice certain things. Best of Nerdist, Rooster Teeth, if you're familiar with Rooster Teeth. We've done things with uh, people who come more out of the YouTube world but blur the line between 
podcasting, vining, you know, YouTube creators, Graveyard Girl, Tyler Oakley. Essentially, what we're looking for are really great storytellers that uh, have voice, have something to say, and are doing something that we think this is this is you know the best in its kind of micro category. So when we thought about Nerdist, we're like, wow, you know, this is really entertaining. This is great. This is audio content at its heart. There's no reason this shouldn't be on a service that is primarily a radio service. Um, so we spent a lot of time um, listening and looking uh, at podcasting, um, but we're very selective about who we've sort of reached out to and, and put on the air. Is, is there an application process? I mean, how do, you know, because clearly, clearly Slacker, I would say you're, you're more like, again, a real radio station. A real radio station doesn't just open up the microphone and let everybody off the street walk in and have a show. Apple iTunes, you know, you can be any, they'll, they'll put anybody's podcast up there. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're much more about, it's got to be a quality show. It's got to be curated. It's got to be worth, worth putting on the air. How does somebody audition? Yeah. So I think we, um, we're actually easy to find <laughs> and you'd be, I mean, you know, all you have to do is go on, uh, slackers, Twitter feed or Facebook feed. And it really, you'll see it's filled with two way conversations. So if you're remotely resourceful, um, you know, you can find us. Okay. There's also just straight up Kevin at slacker.com and Jack at slacker.com. Um, but, uh, you know, I would caution anyone out there that our mentality about podcasting is that it's fully baked. I mean, if you listen to Nerdist or Rooster Teeth, that is great audio, and at its heart, that's radio programming. I mean, yeah, the big discussion, absolutely. the big discussion over the last year has been Serial, right? If you mm -hmm. listen to Serial, that is the highest quality radio content that you could possibly get. Right. You, it may be branded as a podcast, but that is radio. The production on that show is brilliant. Right. The hosting is brilliant. The storytelling is brilliant. The audio collages, the uh, actuarials, everything about that is audio content at its highest level. If you're an interesting person and a raw talent and you're, you think you have something to say and you're podcasting, we may be good enough. We might be good enough to, to see that potential, the diamond in the rough, but it's much more likely you're going to get our attention, right? If it's fully baked and you're doing audio at a level that is radio worthy. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wonder, Jack, you know, do you have to deal with some of the same pressures uh, maybe you were on the other side of the fence before, but when labels or artists or artist management come to Slacker, I'm sure they're coming to you saying, you know, you got to play my new single. You know, I've got an instant grad track coming out. I got a video. I got this tour. I got a new album. Um, how do you handle those old time pressures that we've all dealt with for many, many years um, that might kind of, you know, hurt the integrity of what you're trying to do? You know, having <laughs> I've been on three sides of the fence. I've been on the Slacker and AOL side programming to an audience. I've been on the label side, and, and I've been a manager. 
at a certain point now in our development, people really understand what we're, we're about. They understand that this functions like a radio station, um, has different technology that creates more opportunities if they mobilize people to come to Slacker and come through search and just like any digital music service. But in terms of our, you know, hand curated programming, those 350 plus stations, um, I think we've done a reasonably good job of being straight shooters with our label reps and with managers of being really positive about what we're doing and, and the role that we play in terms of being supportive of artists. You know, you create context and culture around artists in digital music space. That, that's still a little rare. So, to Jay, we, we, we don't get, for the most part, we don't get overly hyped or overly pressured. We have a great music team. Jamie Solis, who runs you know, our day-to-day -day in terms of label and management interaction, is a, just a, a really buttoned-up, experienced, straight-shooting straight guy. And um, we look for opportunities when people come to us. To, if we you know, like the music, we look for opportunities to, to test that music and put it on the air. But it's much, it's much less hard sell and hypey than you might imagine. It's different than my experiences with terrestrial radio or when MTV was the you know, biggest thing in the world in the 90s. It, it, it's different than that. Um, and to be fair, right, we, we represent a really big opportunity when people understand us, but we're, we're not as big as Spotify and we're not... Um, you know, driven by a playlist mentality. So I think the people who get it also get how we want to be worked culturally. And the hard sell is, yeah, we felt we've, we're, we're from the music, you know, most of the people who work at Slacker in the music and content programming, we come from the music industry. So, you know, yeah, yeah. we've seen it. <laughs> Jack, have you, um, have you felt the heat that, the other streaming services have, have gotten over the last year when it comes to the, you know, boycotting, we're not giving you our tracks, you, we, don't, we don't support you, you're not good for the industry. Have you taken some residual heat from that? Uh, I wouldn't say heat. I would say Adele, you know, uh, only Hello is on Slacker from the Adele album, just like, um, you know, uh, the majority of services. Right. Uh, we, I, I think the day-to-day -day people that we deal with, including the digital departments that are looking at this from a more strategic, less promotion-oriented point of view, they understand the difference between Slacker and most of the other people in the space in that, you know, this is uh, a hand-curated service where people are on the air introducing songs and... Um, sort of championing things that we think are important, as Jay said, or, or we like. So yeah. we, ha we haven't really had uh, uh, a lot of problems in that front. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not concerned about the fact that we think the idea of holding music back, in, in our opinion, you know, is counterproductive to where we need to take the whole industry, not just where we need to take slacker. Right, yeah. right. Well, we're coming up on the end of the year here, Jack. Are, are you going to put together your uh, your favorite uh, albums of 2015? Me personally? Yeah, you personally. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think I'm so busy doing the. Uh, I, I think I'm so busy doing uh, the slacker work. Yeah. That, and hasn't uh, everybody else in the world weighed in? Yeah, but I don't care what they think. <laughs> I don't know who's waiting for mine. But I will tell you, I think it came out this year. Uh, Ezra Furman. Did that come out this year? You know him? No, I haven't heard that record. See, that's the one record that I think is flying completely under the radar. Uh, Ezra Furman, Perpetual Motion Machine. Okay, okay. I'll check it out. There you go. Yeah, always want to look at A list of one. There's your insider tip, everybody. There you go. Awesome. What about you guys? Now, have you... Have you published your lists? Um, you know, not not yet because you know the year's not over. Something might sneak in here that I still discover in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I will say overall, I felt like 2015 was a really good year for for music being released. There was a lot of good music. Yeah. I agree. It's it's dispiriting when people say, "Oh, there's you know, music isn't as good as it used to be," or I'd say, oh, "There's not BS, good music." BS to that. BS yeah, to that. A lot of good music. Yeah, there's there's what more you, music Jay, now than ever before. Jay, are you gonna? What's your album of the year, Jay? Oh my gosh, album of the oh, year. Hmm, I'd have to think about that one. I don't put together lists because I've got a few friends that are so good at it. Um, that I just feel like I can't compete. You know, my my buddy Jason Cleave always puts together one that I really look forward to, and and I love going online and checking out you know sites and services that I respect and kind of see, and then I'll find something in there like you just mentioned, something that I hadn't heard. You know, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know what my album. You put me on the spot. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Um, it's also changed so much because so much of the listening is track-based yes. and not album-based. I am a huge album fan and always will be. But frankly, you know, when I hear a great track, sometimes that doesn't always translate into a great uh, album experience yeah. and vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think you make a, you're making a great point. And the one sort of list... Uh, that maybe I, you know, I haven't done it for a couple of years, but that I love reading is um, when someone does a list of 10 or 20 or whatever it is, things that they loved this year. And, and it might be um, the Brian Wilson movie, right? With um, John Cusack and, and, you know, Paul, what's Paul's last name? G- Paul Giamardi or Giamatti. whatever. Giamatti. So, you know, know. A, a list that where a list where someone says, "Oh my God, I love that Dylan Basement's tape reissue. I love that Brian Wilson biopic. I loved seeing um, yeah. this live show. You know, we went to see um, some jazz guy, uh, and I, I like I, that. I don't know his name, but uh, did uh, put together a bunch of people from Juilliard and did a jazz take on Prince, a celebration of Prince. And then someone's got the Kendrick Lamar album." in there and maybe you know three or four singles uh i like that idea a lot better yeah Yeah, i if i was to put together a list like that i would have the tower records documentary um i really enjoyed that um you had mentioned jazz um I've been consulting one of my clients as a, a jazz label, and I've got to be exposed to some music that I wouldn't normally be exposed to. And one of my favorite albums of the year is uh, Cecile McLaurin Salvant. Um, her album is, she's only, I think, 25 or 26 years old, um, but she's got this 
beautiful voice from uh, years past. And uh, I think you would, if you listen to that record, uh, it's one of those you can listen to start to finish. And it's, it's just gorgeous. They're great players. You know, being a jazz fan, the level of musicianship on some of these records is ridiculous. You know, these guys are players. In fact, I want to look something up for a second. It's funny, and I'm sure we're going after, but two of the other things I loved this year, you know, I'm almost finished with, there's, um, and maybe this book came out last year, but I just read Sinatra, The Voice by this guy, James Evans, which is one of the best books I've ever read about either a musician or the music industry. Really? really? Wow. Oh, the Sinatra story is a great story. You know, you can make an argument that he was the first Justin Bieber, you know, and Absolutely. had an incredible career from there. And then uh, this Definitely book, I think it's, that. is it called The Song Factory? The, the guy who wrote the book about basically what's happening in pop music today in terms of how, you know, pop songs come together, the role that Max Martin plays, how beats and backing tracks are developed, you know, what it sort of looks like. So, yeah, bring it all on. Books, albums, tracks, movies. Awesome. Cool. Jack, this was an awesome discussion. Yeah, love, Jack, love really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Hopefully we can do this uh, again. Uh, I feel like uh, this reminds me of when you and I used to go grab coffee at, at Patty's in Burbank, and that's really what I wanted this to be, is just uh, three knuckleheads talking about what they have a passion for, and, and I know how deeply uh, you have a passion for music. It, it shows, so thanks well, so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, we appreciate you taking your time out and yep. sitting down. Thanks and- for the kind words and, and all the kind words, uh uh, that you um, said about Slacker, and you know, I'm a I'm a regular viewer and reader, so keep it coming. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Jack. Happy holidays, my friend. Take take care. Have a good break. Bye. 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 Right. See ya. That was See another ya. fun discussion, Jay. Yeah. It's just yeah. He's fun talking music, and 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 Slacker yeah. is a very, it's a very different service. It is it is like more like a radio station than a streaming service. Yeah, I see it as kind of like a record store for me. It's different than Pandora. Uh, Pandora's great, you know, for what it is. Um, I just, I love Slacker because they speak to me. And it's like having that record store clerk or that radio DJ. It's personality. That's what they, they add that to the mix. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome, guys. So, um, you know what? Let's figure this out right now on the air. Next week, Christmas week. Do we yeah, think, should we, should I, we do a show? It's going to be Christmas Eve next week. Yeah, I think let's take, uh, I let's think take we it off. Take a week off and give people a, a little bit of a break, and uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll come back kicking uh, after. Sounds sounds like a plan. So we'll see you guys in a few weeks. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, everyone. Take care.